Welcome, witches and ghouls. We are pleased to say that we are a part of the Morbidly Beautiful podcast network and family. Morbidly Beautiful is your macabre home away from home with horror news, reviews, editorials, and more. Morbidly Beautiful supports everyone in the horror community, from special effects artists, indie filmmakers, writers, women, LGBTQ folks, and so much more. And we are so happy to be part of the spooky team. Please go to morbidlybeautiful.com to find out more. And now, on with the show. I spit on your podcast, a monthly horror podcast brought to you by the Spinsters of Horror. This is a time once a month where Jess puts down her bloody knitty needles and I step away from the TV to discuss horror movies and sometimes other horror mediums with thoughtful analysis, research, and passion. In this episode for Women in Horror Month, we decided to put the spotlight on the French film director Julia Ducournau. We're discussing her debut feature film Raw from 2016 and the film Titan from 2021, which made her the second female director to ever win a Palme d'Or award. We'll also be briefly discussing her short film from 2011, Junior. The themes that we'll be dissecting will be body horror from the female gaze, the monstrous feminine, as well as sexuality and gender as represented in Julia's films. So pick your poison and listen on, if you dare. We decided to spotlight this female director because, man, she created Raw and we're both super fans of Raw. And finally she came out, uh, Julia Ducourneau came out with a second feature film. So it was time for us to dive into her transgressive, very interesting work. And I'm happy to be here to talk about it because it's, they're heavy. It's heavy. She does some heavy work. I completely agree with you. I was so excited when we were able, when we were planning our six month plan. I was like, okay, we can finally talk about Raw. We're not going to be somewhere else and talk about Raw, considering I've talked about this film twice in two items I've published before. And we've talked about Raw on the Spirits of Horror episode on on YouTube. And so now here we are. We're going to talk about it in our format and our podcast, like Kelly said, with her other feature film. So I'm super pumped to get into this conversation. Me too. All right. Well, the first film we're going to talk about is Raw.
so Jess, what is your story surrounding Raw? When did you first see it? What was your first reaction? Well, if anyone can remember when I first saw it, is I saw it for our <laughs> Let's Scare Jessica to Death uh, challenge right. for Women in Horror <laughs> Month during the first year of the podcast. Kelly had... Oof, right. For yeah. Cannibalism Month. Yeah, 2019. For, yeah. 2019? We did with, 2018. 2018. No, it was yeah. 2019. 2018 oh, 2019. was the first year. Good Lord. Oh, Jesus. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> Women in Horror Month in 2019 yeah. for cannibalism. Yeah. Kelly yes. put out two films, Raw and Trouble Every Day. Right. Both films. Yep. Yep. <laughs> wow, that was a doozy of a month. <laughs> that was definitely a doozy of the month. So I loved it. Both films I end up really liking at the end when I finished watching them. But Raw was my first film. I remember having so much apprehension around watching it because I was like, oh, my God, people talked about how this film made them sick. So I just was like, nope. I don't know how I'm going to do with this film. And then I watched it and here I am. I think I've talked about this film multiple times. And so my story around Raw is I actually saw it in 2018 at a movie screening here in Toronto with an appearance from Alex West talking about new French extremity. And so it was amazing to see it in theater for the first time. Have Alex West, who I absolutely adore and respect and love, who literally wrote the book on new French extremity. So yeah, it was a great experience. And I was astounded by the the movie when I watched it for the first time. And I remain a big fan of the movie. So might as well jump into our likes. Um, Holy moly, there's there's a lot in this movie that I love. So I'll say it. I love this movie. It's powerful. It's interesting. The music is amazing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's got great music, great cinematography. It's just very well crafted from beginning to end. Uh, I love the relationship between Justine and Alexia, the sisters. It feels very authentic. Just a very moving, powerful, interesting French film. I agree with you. Like, when I first saw this film, I loved it. I remember, of course, I had the apprehension. I was just like, ooh. Like, I think the only thing in that movie that really grosses me out is the only thing I really dislike is when she um, is vomiting the hair and she's pulling it out of her mouth. And I'm like, ooh. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I can handle cannibalism. I can handle anything else. But hair coming out of people's mouth? No. I can't handle that. (laughs) (laughs) I remember. So I was like, I remember like, that's one of the few things I, you know, dislike about that film. But I like everything else about this film. I love like every and especially when you watch it a second time, a third time, a fourth time. Like when you know what's going to happen at the end of this movie. It just changes everything Mm -hmm. in the movie. It changes Mm -hmm. the meaning of the dialogue, the conversations between individuals. Like you said, the relationship between Alexa and Justine is so, like you said, authentic and something that you could relate to. And then even just like the relationship with Adrian and Mm -hmm. with the two two girls as well, the two sisters, like just everything about this film, the film, the score, the drab colors to the bright lights, especially when she, you know, awakens her sexuality and stuff like that and those dance scenes. And then I mm-hmm. I am absolutely obsessed when films time music and scenes perfectly. And it's just like, it's so yeah. powerful that you're just like, yeah. oh, 
boom and like and like i said the scene that i like love the most is when justine tastes human flesh and blood yep. for the first time and it's just like the, the look on her face the and the music because yep. oh, it's just everything yeah. i was like i love it i actually really noticed that scene this time around i think i've watched this movie about five times now but yeah that scene i really noticed and then it kind of pans over to alexia when she wakes up and watches her sister gnawing down on her finger but that realization that her sister is also a cannibal she has the same affliction so to speak as her and she's not alone it's very it's a very powerful moment in the movie yeah those are my likes my loves for this film what about yourself do you have any dislike i'll first say that as a vegan i would be remiss not to mention the Mm -hmm. and it's not the subject of this episode but the commentary in this movie on how Animal eating, meat eating is related to untamed humanity or lack thereof, of inhumanity, the comparison of humans, non-human animals, that we are all meat and that eating animals is inhumane, but also inhuman. Mm -hmm. So that is also a super powerful message that I get from this movie that, again, it's not what we're talking about today. But if folks, if you haven't really thought about that messaging, that allegory that this film provides to you, I. recommend you rewatch it with that in mind. I would agree with you when it comes to the ideas of vegetarianism, veganism, the comparisons between humans and animals. Like it has its moments in the film where you're just like, that's really sad. I don't like that at all. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking Mm -hmm. of animals, what I dislike about the movie um, is not even a hard dislike. It's just the animal stuff is tough. It's tough for me as a vegan, as a vet tech. I understand all the metaphors and the reasons why we're seeing what we're seeing. But of course, it's still challenging. It's just challenging being a vegan in a non-vegan world. So it's so those scenes are tough. Otherwise, I love it. Um, How about you? Besides vomiting hair, which also makes me gag and vomit. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, I always said it was the vomiting hair. It is just like you said, the messaging when in regards towards animals. I always get very, very sad in the film when Quickie has to be put down. And I'm just in there like, but the oh dog didn't do it. But it's like, but you know, but like you said, it's that metaphor of, you know, the way when Justine is talking to her father, and he's just like, well, they've tasted human they've tasted human flesh they need to be put down so it's like that yeah. metaphor to Justine being like well, yep. since you've tasted human flesh you need to be put down and she's like can I not yeah. have a pill to fix this and he's like nope and so it's like fuck yeah. like, that's not yeah. the case that's not yeah that's not I know yeah it's sad <laughs> yeah so that's the, uh, the other yeah and then I'm just I'm not a I'm not a huge like I I know it's a part of the film and I know that's like you said another theme of the film is mob mentality and conformity and hazing rituals and that's mm-hmm. like I and you know not a, obviously I'm not a fan of hazing no one should be hazed but I, I understand that in certain cultures and mm-hmm. certain institutions that's a part yeah. of getting people into a profession or getting people into a f- society of yeah. some sort yeah for sure yeah it's tough a lot of a lot of tough themes in this movie I think yeah exactly So moving into what we're going to talk about with regards to Raw. So the abject, our monstrous feminine, our monstrous female body, body horror. That's where we're going to next, folks. And so we took a look at Julia Kristeva's Powers of Horror essay, and she is the one that pretty much describes and is the creator of what we're seeing as the abject 
So normally the abjection is a concept in critical theory referring to becoming cast off or separated from norms and rules, basically away from society and away from societal norms and morality. But when it comes to the abject with regards to horror, body horror, this movie, it also describes things that are repulsive, disgusting, and other, something that is breaking bodily boundaries. Jess, was this your first time kind of delving more into the abject? Have you read this essay before this? I hadn't read this essay before this. So this was really kind of the first time really getting into abject horror. Like I've always been interested in the idea of the monstrous feminine and the abject and the monstrous feminine go hand in hand, especially when it comes to these terms such as pregnancy, you know, menstruation, menopause, like all those Mm -hmm. things that we experience as women are all considered abject. And so it was really interesting reading this essay and then of course going back to what Robert Creed talks about in The Monstrous Feminine and kind of piecing that all together again right and that idea that whatever is object is considered immoral and it's sinister and it's scheming and it's shady I'm just like this all this gets labeled onto women anytime we do anything (laughs) yeah the improper the unclean the essay I mean not all of it was super relevant to what we're talking about today but it's so oddly but beautifully written and folks if you haven't read the powers of horror I really really recommend it but there is this really great quote and it's I don't expel I am expelled I as in in quotations meaning we lose ourselves through abjection when you are abject you are no longer human. And that is the monstrous feminine. They definitely go hand in hand. The abject is confronting the feminine. We are, there's a lack of cleanliness and health. We don't, it's not respecting borders or positions or rules. It's the in-between, the ambiguous. And that is our movies that we're talking about today. Well, especially you would be a little more familiar with the abject considering the stuff that you do, (laughs) the stuff that you talk about in the extreme horror cinema and the world and stuff like that. And like you said, often uh, the abject gets placed upon the female body. To be a woman is to be feared and to be, and, to, and for women, we, we know fear and the patriarchy ends up deeming women's bodies, our physical bodies, as so awful and monstrous that it needs to be limited and controlled. That there's this fear that a woman's body and that her as, an, as, a, as a being is unruly, unclean, it's unknowable and whatever they fear, they hate. And that's women. Yay. Um, so in Raw, we see her trans Justine's transformation starts with blood, right? Yes. Part of the hazing ritual is having all our first years, our newbie uh, veterinarian students, our veterinary students, they're wearing their lab coats. They just get doused with animal blood, which I'm sure they have tons of at their disposal. And that begins our transformation, right? And then we have her eating a raw rabbit kidney, a vegetarian being forced by peer pressure. Actually, Alexia is forcing Mm -hmm. this transformation onto her sister, our woman, another, our, I'd say a main character, forcing the transformation of Justine into this cannibalistic creature that she turns into. And it's so interesting because reading in that essay where they talked about food loathing and how that's the most archaic form of objection that whenever something unnatural and it causes like this physical repulsion revulsion. And it's so interesting because like you can place that idea of food loathing into raw, right? From from the fact that she loathes eating meat, you know, that she is forced to eat the 
the a rabbit liver is it again from rabbit which kidney. is a rabbit kidney from essentially a dead animal so something dead a cadaver yeah you know yeah. she has to eat something that's considered repulsive and then she's awakened this this hunger in her that cannot mm-hmm. be cannot be sedated until it's human flesh which is then again another considered item of food loathing you know another mm-hmm. something un, un, unnatural and very repulsive so she's entered into this world of the abject. Yes, and her body goes through a variety of changes. Things happen. She has like this, I'm going to say like an allergic reaction to the dead animal that she has eaten. She gets a very itchy, disgusting skin rash. She's nauseous. Her skin starts peeling. There's a lot of inflammation. She vomits up a lot of hair. There's pissing in this movie. She pees on herself when her sister is showing her. And though that's not shown as like a horrific moment, urine is still an unclean quote unquote thing. And there's sweat. Justine is sweating throughout her body. Like she's going through those withdrawal, withdrawal like symptoms when she hasn't had meat for a period of time. And it's Alex, Alexia, sorry, usually I just call her Alex to make it more simple, but Alexia creates corpses. And that's Mm -hmm. how she satiates her hunger. She creates corpses, which is the ultimate objection. You are dead and you are decaying. You're decomposing. Fluids are leaking everywhere. You crap yourself. It's a whole thing. So she is creating corpses to ultimately further her own objection. Now that you say that, I was like, oh shit, yeah, she really is literally eating corpses because she essentially kills these people in the accidents that she causes. And that's what differentiates, makes her objection different from Justine's because for Alexia, it's literally all about food. You know, like, and she gets off on it as well, too. Like, it, it gives her this empowerment. Like, it, she becomes a monster in herself because she literally flouts gender's expectations because she is allowed, she is aggressive, and she is angry, and she is powerful. And mm-hmm. she shows mm-hmm. that all throughout the film. When the moment you meet, first meet Alexia, she is singing, you know, gyrating her butt in the air and stuff like that. And oh, she yeah. is loud, yeah. aggressive. You know, she drinks, she smokes, she... Like you said, she le- she knows how to pee like a man. She uh, she calls it on the rooftops, like, yeah. and she is so she is like definitely like the very monstrous figure in this film, and she's trying to take Justine under her wing because she's like you said she sees that moment in the film where she sees her sister eating the the eating the finger. She's like, oh wait, you're just like me. Here's yeah. a way I can show you to be as just as monstrous as you can be, and then the, that's where you see that Justine's journey takes a different path for her, and I feel like Justine's journey into the abject is a journey in sexuality. And Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. an exploration. An exploration, yeah. Yes, yeah. I mean, we don't get to see Alexia's journey per se. We just can assume, you know, that it started the same as Justine, but I feel like she was not like Justine whatsoever. So she Mm kind of takes it to a much more excessive route. Yeah. But when it comes down to it, objection, Montrous Feminine is about transformation. It's about body horror. And this term of body horror was coined with regards to the films of David Cronenberg of the 70s and 80s. We have a whole episode on that, folks, if you'd like to listen to that, where we cover David Cronenberg's Rabid and the Saska Twins' Rabid remake. But before that, it even started in literature with medical horror, surgical horror in Frankenstein. And yes. Julia Ducourneau did state David Cronenberg as an influence for her work in body horror. I watched the special features on my super fancy raw disc. But she <laughs> said, he is unwielding to his audience. He wants to show you something and you can't look away. We're seeing human bodies just as human bodies, nothing gratuitous. And I see that and also 
also her films. It's there's no male gaze, sometimes a female gaze, I would say. It's just like, here's a naked body. Here are bodies just everywhere. And it's not there to be sexual. It's just this is how we exist. This is how we are. We have bodies and she is going to show them and he's going to show them, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. And that's what I love about it, because when the woman becomes a monster, as you would say, in these films, because often in both these films, in Cronenberg's films, when, you know, uh, the female protagonist is experiencing some form of monstrous transformation, it's disrupting the male gaze and it's keeping the female body from being fetishized because we're at the time we're we're abhorred by that. We're like, oh, this is crazy. Yeah. But at the same time, too, it springs from this primal fear of knowing oneself as a physical being and experiencing pain. So the body horror genre encompasses bodily violation, so mutilation zombification, possession, disease, but ultimately is related to, like Kelly said, transformation. The female body is almost a nexus of pain by design. And there's so much potential seen in body horror and that of women and our transformation as we grow and as we mm-hmm. age. Yes, each period of our lives is full of transformation, disgusting things that happen to our body that we can't control. But what we see In these movies, I think, and in a lot of body horror when it comes to female body horrors, that there's this duality of horror and liberation, emancipation. In some of our research, they stated that that's at the core of it. And I agree. Like, if you go through many horror movies, body horror movies, that's a coming of age, because this is a coming of age story. There's a transformation for, I would say, the better we yeah. are the pretty much every story they are better for it generally speaking and adolescence is scary enough but you know and Jess and I kind of briefly talked about this off the record earlier but we aren't taught a lot about our bodies and sexuality <laughs> and as we're going growing up right so it's even scarier because it's all sketchy and we don't really know what's going on we don't know what's happening with our bodies sex education is terrible also have an episode on that for teeth but the it's like puritanical the conservativeness of sexual education and our bodies like we don't know what's going on and especially if it comes to these more extreme transformations it's scary but appealing at the same time exactly right and like you said and often this starts when women are going into female adolescence which is the site of horror like you know there's transformation happening we all talk about the werewolf metaphor and ginger snaps you know such a great film but it's a sense of transformation that allows a young woman to act as she pleases that she goes from no longer being a child being told what to do and how to do or how to feel and how to think and how to you know she's now she's moving into her own ability her own identity and a way to fend for herself and I really love how Julia does that in Raw because it is also like you said a coming of age horror but it's also something that we'll see later on when we talk about her short film junior is like this female power comes from unloosing the one skin of your childhood and then growing yourself into a woman and being able to have that power and to contend with all the forces around them that they both threaten to violate and harm them and that's the other aspect i love about body horror is that often these transformations of that these women experience they're able to protect themselves in some way, shape, or form. Love that. There's gender transgression. There's, you know, built around gendered fear and expectations and containment, but they're breaking loose from this, of course, and they become, quote, monsters. That's debatable, I would say. That's why I'm saying, mm-hmm. in quote, monsters. Yeah. <laughs> but what's really extra interesting in Raw is that there's inherited transformation in this, right? Because, you know, by the end of the movie, we see that this is something that Alexia and Justine have received via genetics from their mother, which 
the ending just gets me every time every I get chills. Time. It's so powerful. And, you know, at first her dad is just like very lightly, almost like very nostalgic where he's like rubbing that scar in his lip. And, you know, that was their first kiss. And he's like, that mm-hmm. was memorable. And I was like, oh, damn. Yeah. Yeah. And he just like they're they're in love. They're like betrothed forever. And I love that kind of relationship that they have. But this transformation and, and looking into into our research about inherited transformation. So it's not only an active choice, but something that she passes on the act of becoming or obsiring a monster as a means of reclaiming control over the female body. And though I don't think her mother necessarily, because they don't tell their daughters what's going to happen to them, which is maybe a part of that whole other problem of sex yes. education. Yes. Like, it is <laughs> everything about a woman's body in general. Yeah. And this is, I love that you bring this point up because watching that film, knowing what I know about the mother and the father, and you're rewatching, you watch everything that they say and do, right? And how they act, and they know what their daughters are capable of. They know what's going to yeah. happen, but they don't address and they don't have the yeah. conversations. And that is the pro- and that's a problem because often that's what happens to many, 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 many women is that <laughs> no one is having conversations with them about their body, about their identity, about what, you know, what we inherit as women. Like we, you know, we end up having to learn this ourselves through TV through mm-hmm. books and often it's a very wrong messaging and then we're having to unlearn all those things and we yeah. start learning the right stuff and we're like oh yeah. my god like I'm sorry to say this but I've been calling my vagina my vagina when really it's a vulva yep <laughs> right like so yep. that, and this is why I'm just bringing this up as a point of <laughs> in this film like these young women are not educated by their parents yeah. of this inherited genetic thing that's going to happen to them and that is symbolic of how often we are not told about what we're going to go through in our bodies genetically as women. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And these women, God love them, also turn into, and you touched on this earlier, Jess, but these monstrous, I would say the masculine female grotesque. And we read a really great article that was really geared towards werewolves and those kind of transformations. But I think a portion of it relates really to, to both these movies. But the term masculine, female, grotesque, it's like not so much like the, the monstrous feminine, which is all based on the actual biological female body or reproductive mm-hmm. system, essentially. But the masculine, female, grotesque, where it talks about the female body becoming grotesque because it takes on masculine or male, quote unquote, male traits being sexually assertive, loud, violent, apathetic. Alexia, for sure, in Raw. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Alexia in Titan. Apathetic, yep. assertive, violent, very violent, and very, like, you know what I mean? So they take yep. on those traits, and that's also what makes them monstrous, because they're becoming more, quote, masculine. They're unruly women. They're aggressive. Those are definitely breaking boundaries, definitely refusing to bow to any kind of expectations. And our unruly woman, our monstrous feminine, our abject woman is a spectacle. So when I was looking at looking at Raw, so Alex, Alexia, we perceive and I think she perceives to have her monstrosity under control because she seems very free within it. She's having a great time, having a blast, living who she is. And that's great. And Justine is not like she's very hesitant. You're right. She has a very different kind of reaction to everything because she also is a very different girl, right? Meek and Mm -hmm. mild and tender and... You're not that like overtly sexual until later on in the film. She still fumbles along with that. She still doesn't really know what's going on. But I feel like Alex perceives and everything seems to be very under control 
until there's competition between yes. them and Adrian. And he, unfortunately, suffers the consequences. Yeah. There's competition for sex and food. And watching this, I, you know, Alexia makes that terrible, mortifying video of Justine, who's super drunk. And she's, like, holding up the corpse's arm. And she's, like, asking her to beg. And she's, like, acting like a dog. And it's horrifying it but it causes him to have that big fight in the middle of like the courtyard with all the students to see them she they go kind of feral in it yeah. you know and but that's what i saw it as now there's competition i mean there's probably always been like a little bit of the academic competition everybody's always looking to justine for being the she's like the golden child right we're already seeing that with how the teachers react to her and they're like oh you better impress us everybody said so these wonderful things about you but until yeah. there's competition and that's where we start seeing alexia kind of you know i feel like lose her control right yeah. and justine does even trust her by the end of the movie but what's interesting is that she goes to lock the door at the end but she doesn't and then we have our tragic ending of the death of Adrian. Yeah. And I love that you bring that up because I remember thinking that too as watching the film. Because when you're, like I said, you can watch this film so many times and you can see different elements. And like yeah. you said, you're right. There's this all of a sudden this competition. And Justine sees her sister as competition as well. But yeah. like he's, yeah. and then and there's moments where like Adrian has made comments being like, you know, I'm not fucking girls. And I'm like, oh wait, did he have sex with Alexa first, discovered their secret, and then he's attracted to the sister and sees, but that right. her sister has a little more control over what she's doing because yeah. that sex scene is also super powerful when you know that Adrian knows that she's struggling with something, that he's interested yeah. in some kind of kink or something yeah. that she has because he already yeah. know he probably already knows it from the sister mm, so then when yeah. she when they do have sex and it's like he was almost preparing for her to bite him and when yeah. she bites himself he's like shocked but also like okay and you're like oh my god and then just you start seeing yeah. the the moats like you know she, why is she texting you and what's happening you're just like oh wow okay because imagine and we already know this with her mother living with a condition of that right or living with that being you know what helps get you off or what is part of satisfies you at the end of the day not many people are going to accept that not many partners are going to be willing to participate in that sort no. of kink right they're going to be like For sure. mm, no thank you but in adrian they may have found that and yeah. as we are all beings of social beings we all like to connect with other people when you find someone that you could truly connect with and share something so deeply personal with that's really hard to want to let go of so i could see where that competition would come between the two sisters and you know yeah. especially alexa she's like fuck this if this is my yeah. if this is how i'm gonna get my pleasure as well as my meal get out of here yeah and it's really interesting you bring that up about adrian because we get to the very end and you know he's just laying there in bed and there's a massive chunk of his thigh taken out that's been eaten by likely both of them and she justine like hits him and tells him he's like why didn't you stop me? Like, why didn't you say no? So I feel like there might have been an element of mm -hmm. he accepted it and he went along with it for a, a period of time because it doesn't really look like there was a struggle, right? We can yeah. only speculate based on the aftermath of that event. But you're right. Maybe there was an element of him accepting it and being okay with it because there are fetishes of people that do desire to be eaten, People want to eat others, like truly consume their flesh. And there are people that want to have their flesh consumed, which is a great segue into talking about deviant sexuality in this movie, because we do see this, right? So we start with Justine breaking free from her parents, right? She was in high school. Now, again, living, I think, a very sheltered life. 
She loves sure. animals, but she grows into this more hedonistic lifestyle of independence, agency, going to university, and sexual desire. She starts as this good girl, the opposite of how Alexi is. <laughs> you know, she's got the good grades. She's seemingly a virgin, in quotations. She's a vegetarian. Then she kind of becomes a bit, quote-unquote, whorish. <laughs> She's thrown into this highly sexual environment that if you're not prepared for that, that's a lot to take in. Right, you know, she's thrown into that party where we see her sister dancing very provocatively. There's men kissing each other, women kissing each other, men and women kissing each other. It's a highly there's a lot of sexual there's energy an in that fucking in- scene at one point. <laughs> yes, and that is a kink in and itself. And yes. folks, that is called oculolinctus. It's also called worming in anime and manga because that's where it happens a lot. Eyeball yes. looking. Oh my God, thank you for, I'm like, I remember when I caught that scene, because I'm watching, I'm like, oh yeah, this is a really awesome scene. Wait, wait, she's fucking his eye. It's very prolonged. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) And then I'm like, wait, I've seen this in anime before too, and I love that you came with the definition in the name of it. Of course, of course. I was like, because I talked about this in a different podcast that I guested on when I talked about an anime. So, and I was like, oh, I remember this. That's great. Mm -hmm. But also, like, you look at the paint party, where she's just kind of thrown into that. She's already kind of started her transformation where she bites the bites the middle half middle part of a guy's lip but also she walks in on adrian getting a blow job like we know we know in quotations i don't know i didn't do anything in college because i was so busy with my studies but like there's that everyone's experimenting and they're doing stuff post-secondary is a time of exploration experimentation so like she's just thrown into that and you're like i i I don't know if she was ready for it if she didn't turn into a cannibalistic monster sexual deviant then i don't think she would have been ready for that. <laughs> and like, it's interesting too, because this, this is a French-Belgian film, right? So sexuality is seen so differently over in Europe than over here in yep. North America. Like, we're oh, seeing yeah. these scenes where we're like, ooh, like, clutching pearls yeah. and stuff like that. Be like, <laughs> you know, or like the scene, or we, we see that scene where she walks in on Adrian, and we're like, dude, he's supposed to put a sock on the door so everyone knows. And you're like, that's <laughs> Is that what you right? did? What happened with you, Jess, in uh, oh. university? All oh, my 800 God. years of it. <laughs> <laughs> I had my first queer relationship. Yeah. Yep. Dated an older man, then got married. <laughs> that was my fun times. <laughs> Scandalous. And I only did college for two years and stayed in my bedroom and studied because I'm a very hard worker and I'm a great vet tech now. So anyways, and I also <laughs> did school in Aurelia, Ontario, which is a population of 30,000. So there we go. Justine's really great because she's she's gaining her independence, gaining her agency, but also she's now controlling the gaze. She is in charge of her story now, which I really, really like because each stage of our life, this each stage of our, quote, monstrous feminine life, you know, menstruation. So adolescence or sexual awakening, menopause, pregnancy like that. I did that out of order, but you get it. But each stage we're actually told how to act and how not to act. And so we have to break free of this patriarchy 
patriarchal gaze during those very important times and do kind of what you need to do for yourself. But I feel like that's what's happening in this. Oh, for sure. And like you said, Justine, when she discovers her sexuality, and I think in a way we all do, she went like head dived in 100% (laughs) experiences. So of course, it's interesting trying to watch her balance that both enjoy her pleasure, but also, you know, rein it in a little bit um, so that she's not hurting anyone at the end of the day. And I just really love how when before Justine was an object of the male gaze, and after that, after she eats flesh and she has sex, she is no longer the object of the male gaze. She is the one who is staring. She is the one who is stalking. Yes. Haunting her prey. (laughs) Yes. Like, and I love that scene too when she's watching Adrian playing soccer and she's just so intensely staring that causes the nosebleed. And you're just like, yeah, "Yeah, I get it. I get it. Like, we're, you know. Girl, I feel ya. Yeah. (laughs) 38 and I still understand. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And this is what is amazing about body horror is that it offers a space for women to explore the ideas of when our bodies betray us, right? And when a woman's monstrosity manifests during our hormonal flexes, like Kelly said, menstruation, sexual awakening. are constantly forced to be aware of our bodies and always have to have these changes being witnessed by others. And so it's yeah. interesting because that's what Justine also experiences too. She's experiencing this change that the whole world is going to see and she, the whole world yeah. is a part of. And that's stressful and that's intimidating as well. But the monstrous body allows for her to disrupt the patriarchal gaze and reclaiming yeah. its power as her own. And this is yes. what I love about Raw. Yeah, and what I love as well about the monstrous feminine. I mean, we yes. that concept we come back to time and time again because it's super relatable and it's just really great to watch like those movies and those themes are incredible incredible to watch what I want to say is you brought this up uh, briefly but yes this is a French Belgian film Titan but French films overall and I've watched a lot of them French films specifically French horror films French sexuality and French sex in art in cinema they're not afraid to express any form of sexualities French folks in their cinema and their art aren't afraid to break those boundaries and their taboos. I fucking love Trouble Every Day. It's actually one of my favorite new French extremity films. I also watched a movie recently called Mamère, which is not a horror movie, but it is filled with incest and it's, you know, French films, they're not afraid to go there. They're not afraid to broach any subject. Because sex is natural. There's a, It's about sexual exploration. There's a fetishism that we can see in certain French films, and we see it here, right? And Julia Ducourneau says, and again, in interviews and in special features that I watch, says that we don't see enough of people showing their sexuality and showing their bodies off. She does it unapologetically. They, she shows nude bodies as they are. Like I said, there's like no gaze, no ob- objectification, unless that is what the scene requires for the purpose of the overall premise of the movie and so we see that in these two films we'll see it in new French extremity films but also just see it in French films it's incredible right there's assertive sexuality women just showing themselves who they are and exploring and just being who they are and I find that in French films are much more liberal than our North American films it's amazing and that sex scene with Adrian whew, it is this like yeah. one of the more, most erotic scenes I have 
ever seen. So it's, I'm not saying a lot, but um, <laughs> it's just incredible, right? There's some kink aspects in this movie. Of course, if it's consensual, you don't bite somebody's lip off unless they say that it's okay to do that. Maybe a little S&M thrown in there again. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some kink elements that you're right. Maybe she would kind of try to explore with Adrian. But again, no, there was no communication about this prior. But yeah. it was still a very erotic scene, I'll say. Yeah, <laughs> it, it definitely 100% putting out there if you want to explore any type of kink, always make sure that you have consent yes. from both parties involved yeah. and you always stop when you want to stop. Don't push Absolutely. yourself. Safe ever. words. So, safe yep. words, always. Mine is spooky. <laughs> <laughs> so I, my final thing is a question for you, Jess. So in one of the interviews that I watched with Julia Durkanau, she says she doesn't consider Raw a horror movie. What do you think about that? That's a good question because when I first watched it, I would have considered a horror movie, but then over the, phew, since 2019, it's 2021, I've done a lot of talking about Monstrous Feminine and led, read a lot watched a lot and yes while I see it's a horror film I don't at the same time too I'm pretty much at the place right now where anything that is no I don't uh Yes, I do. I see it as a horror film, but I don't. I see it as a film of liberation, right? I feel it's tragic for her at the end where she's just like, oh shit, I need to find someone who's going to be willing to accept me 100%, but I hope she does. I really hope that at the end of the day, she does find someone because at the end of the day, maybe that's just, that's her yum. And we can't yuck someone's yum at the end of the day. So (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm mixed feelings about it being a horror film because I've seen other films that deal with uh, the female experience and they're not necessarily a horror film, but because the way the female experience is being shown I'm like that's a horror film like that mm-hmm. is like you know mm-hmm. like subjugation forcing women into but seeing a woman claim her power and accept her transformation I don't see that as a horror film so maybe I don't see Ra really a horror film in the traditional sense mm, the non-traditional sense Love yeah that. how about yourself I would say so yes I mean mm-hmm. you know how everyone knows how I feel about not calling horror movies horror movies because it's okay to be a horror movie and I, I feel like maybe that's where Julia is is coming from it's just like I don't want to call it a horror movie it's a coming of age film It's like, well, you're showing horrific things, right? There's like the odd kind of subtle jump scare, the way certain Mm -hmm. scenes are filmed, create kind of a sense of dread and suspense. You're showing cannibalism. So I feel like, yes, I mean, it is a horror film. I think these days, 2022, horror is a very, very broad genre. And that's okay. That is okay. So I would, yes, consider Raw to be a horror movie. Should we move on to our next film? Yeah, let's move into Titan from 2021. But 
it's too late to say you're sorry How would I know? Why should I care? Please don't bother trying to find her She's not there Right. So this was a first time watch for the podcast for me. Yay! Yay! First time watch for Kelly. It's very rare, everyone. It is. <laughs> it is. It is. So I was holding out. This came out on uh, streaming and video on demand a couple of months ago, but I held out because I knew we were going to cover it for this month. But yeah, first time watch for me. How about you? Uh, for me, this is actually a second time watch. I was able to watch it for the first time back in February illegally. <laughs> and then when it came out on streaming services, I was like, okay, I'm going to watch it. We get to watch this again. So yeah, this was my second time around watching this film. Great. Well, I actually watched it twice for the podcast because that movie deserves a few watches to take it that does. all in. Um, so I actually watched it today to keep it fresh in my brain. So I'm curious. Okay, this is great because... I have two different varying opinions from when I first watched it to when I watched it again. Ooh, so I'm, okay. I'm curious Great. as to you what your second time oh, watch was okay. like. Well, I didn't love this movie. There's aspects that worked for me, aspects that really didn't. I mean, so thinking about my likes, the music is, again, great. The very sexy car scene of the women dancing, that was just a beautiful, sexy scene. There's like throw in a little bit of surgical horror. There's a couple of scenes in the movie of some bodily surgical medical horror. Uh, The kills are brutal, which is fantastic. Like very smartly done. She kills people except for the chair scene because though that is extra brutal and I love that she just like sits down on the chair afterwards oh but the needle through the ear and I'm like that is brilliant because that'll be hard to figure out how they've killed these people mm-hmm. and it just like leaves like no traces of her and why she's okay. able to get away with this for such a long time but they're very cringeworthy I thought the acting was pretty spectacular I liked it a lot with our newcomer actress um, I didn't make note of her at our name unfortunately but uh, I really liked her who's Alexia is there like a metaverse that Julia Ducournau is uh, creating here because there's Justine and Alexia through all the movies and shorts that and she Adrian. did. And Adrian. Yeah. So I'm like, what's, there's something happening here. Um, but I really like her aesthetic. She's just like a little rough around the edges with like a whole bunch of tattoos and like her mullet style haircut. She's got a tattoo between her breasts that says love is a dog from hell. Agreed, girl. Agreed. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a very confronting, bold film. That deserved two watches, for sure. I agree with you. I will say the same thing, too, because I, when I first saw this film, loved it. I was like, boom, it it was in my face, and I remember feeling very uncomfortable during very particular scenes during the movie, and anyone probably can guess which ones those were. (laughs) But were they? They, (laughs) Don't leave them guessing. The two two scenes I I squirmed through were the uh, self-abortion, where she tries to give herself an abortion with the hair needle that she uses to kill people with. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, the breaking her nose. Ooh, I yeah. I can at least the first time watching the for the abortion the self abortion scene. I tried to sit through that. I was like I couldn't watch it. And the second time I could watch it. The second I still cannot watch when she breaks her nose. I when I know it's coming, Fair. I turn away. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> I also love the score. Once again, Julia Ducournau can really kill it with music with and, sing- and yep. songs and scenery and how she just blends it all together. <laughs> I love yeah. that whole, f- like, I really love the first half of this film mm-hmm. and just the imagery and everything we see about it. I like the theme of chosen family that comes in because um, I can relate to that uh, as an individual who's had to essentially have chosen the family members around me. It reminds me a lot of uh, Tetsuo's Iron Man, that whole idea <laughs> of man and machine, of uh, woman yep. and machine coming together it's yeah. got that sci-fi element to it so i really have that perspective i also really love grace who comes back as justine and she is justine and raw and she's also junior yeah. in the 2011 film it's just i think she's just a very attractive woman oh my god she's, there's she's my dislike is that there's not more of that actress yes. grant's uh marilier Oh, yeah. my goodness gracious. I was very sad yes. when, when uh, Alexa killed her. I was like, no. I know. I know. <laughs> and I'm like, I know it's not your story, but I want you more here. Can't you just be a bigger supporting character? It's fine. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, this film is, is definitely very confronting. and It is definitely very in your face when it comes to it. But I, I just and I remember when I first watched it, I'd be like, oh, I love it. And I was championing it. And then on my second watch, I'm like, I still like it, but I don't love it. Yeah. Okay. So what happened in your second watch around that you can briefly mention here? Um, Is it maybe like a part of your dislikes? It's part of my dislikes. It just, it feels disjointed. There's sharp changes in the scene and discontinuation of themes that are happening. And I can see where members of the trans community can find this film problematic. I can also see where, where women in the feminist community can find this film problematic. I just... It, this film has so much going on with it that it yeah. needs. It requires a lot yeah. of watches, and I almost yeah. wonder if it's a too. Maybe I'm saying this, but maybe it's ahead of its time. What do you, I don't know. Maybe Ooh. maybe not. No, might be too soon to say. But I yeah. wouldn't think so. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I think this movie starts very strong, and then it kind yeah. of the pacing's off. Then it loses me for like an hour of family drama. Yeah, not saying that the family drama isn't worth watching, but it's just a big shift. And then it kind of amps up again in the final act. So I think the story is a bit of a mess. The themes are a bit of a mess. I don't fully understand our protagonist, Alexia. Like, what are her motives overall? You know what I mean? Like, I don't really understand why she is how she is and why she is. And then the weird dynamic between Alexia and Vincent. There's aspects of it that I adore. And there's aspects that are really fucking weird that just aren't sitting well with me. Yeah, I I agree with you. And I love it because I read an interview that Julie uh, Durkinawa did and she did that on purpose she made her character Alexa someone who we cannot relate to she's like I did that on purpose and I'm like great it works because I don't understand this character like you said I don't understand why she is a serial killer she's just she she just is yeah exactly oh well let's get into Titan the monstrous female body the abject body horror and for this not coming of age horror it is a pregnancy horror folks pregnancy horror coming back to the abject and one of the things that are considered abject about women is that we can procreate there is a fear of and this is attached to this fear of women that this ability that we have this generative power and that it can be defiling because 
we can reproduce. We can bring lives into the world. And that's scary to men. And they can't control that. They cannot control our bodies and the way we exert it. Yeah. And also say we can create life, but also we can take it away. And that is 100% what people love to try to control. 100%. Uh, women have constantly been feeling control of our reproductive systems, even when 1960, when they built, when they created the pill. Yeah, it gave us some freedom, but it also implied a whole bunch of new controls upon women. So it brings us into this idea of, once again, being a woman is body horror. And we're yeah. moving into an area of, of body horror that I cannot speak to myself about because I have not experienced it, but pregnancy horror. That is Mm -hmm. a whole idea of how it interacts with a woman's body and sexuality because it presents as like this this concept of growing another being in your body and how it changes and how all of a sudden you have these aches and these pains and you're leaking places everywhere. You're getting these stretch marks and we're seeing this all throughout the film. Oh, this is definitely highly, highly a abject horror. So and the abject is a horror of the body again, as a reminder, without borders, reminder that our body is decay and filth. We have permeable boundaries of the inside and the outside, human, animal, subject and object. The monstrous feminine relates to our sexuality and our reproductive abilities. Our abject body is an out of control body, a taboo body. And, you know, coming back to Alexia, you're right. She is not appealing. She is not likable. So in an aspect of the abject and, you know, talking about the monstrous feminine is where we behave as depraved, monstrous, and again, abject. But then we're also generally speaking, appealing and raw. Those women, I would say, are very appealing and how they betray themselves, how they dress. Everything is their transformation we see as liberating and fascinating to watch. We maybe find some empowerment in ourselves, but Alexia is not appealing. She is actually quite the opposite, but I feel like she thrives in this liminal space. Like this is just where she belongs. We don't understand her. We don't like her. We just can't relate to her. We don't really know who she is and why she is how she is. Body horror in this movie is really this spectacle, not really a part of the plot. So it's like, there's a lot of body horror and in this, right? And body horror is titillating. And Julia Ducourneau is really great at showing and portraying body horror as an exclu- almost exclusively a female experience, right? Perpetrators are, are female. The gaze is female. It's all around the female experience without having rape involved, which is really quite something. And it's really, really refreshing, refreshing to say the least, right? And so coming into reproductive horror, I'm going to touch on the abortion scene for a second because we do not see these scenes enough in film. It's very rare. It's very rare to show it as an authentic, as authentic and as raw as we see it in this movie. It is very visceral. It's very upsetting to watch. And it's a very real experience for women for the last hundred plus years, bringing us back to the days of coat hangers. Okay. It is a hard watch. And I really feel like Julia Durkinow excels in portraying some real female experiences or at least heightened in a more like fantastical way. But the core foundation of it is quite relatable. There's also a moment where she's punching at her abdomen. And so as somebody with experience with abortion, with pregnancy, I had an abortion at 24 weeks, folks, that's six months. And so there are moments in this movie that really brought me back to a time of deep discomfort and disconnect because if you don't want 
if you do not want to be pregnant, which obviously at the beginning of this film, and I think the vast majority of this movie, she does not want to be pregnant. I mean, why she doesn't go for a legitimate actual abortion is left to her speculation. I mean, she has to hide herself. And if she goes and gets an abortion, you know, and this does seem quite peculiar with not blood, but motor oil, because folks, she has sex with a car as a side note. We'll get into her sexuality later, but she has sex with a car, becomes pregnant by a car. And so she's discharging motor oil. So maybe it's because it just already seems very abnormal and strange and uncomfortable. And hey, man, sometimes we're in a in denial I was in denial for months, which is why I had a six-month abortion, because the worst possible thing that was happening to me was actually happening to me. Mm-hmm. So that abortion scene and her punching at her belly and the realization that she's pregnant was very real to me. And where part of Alexia goes in this was where I saw myself potentially going and experiencing if I wasn't able to get the abortion I needed. How can I make myself abort this baby? How can I get this situation taken care of? How can I abort this fetus inside of me? What am I going to do? Am I going to throw myself down a flight of stairs? Like, what am I going to do to abort this, right? So I found that a very striking and a very important scene in this movie because we don't see it enough. I, I, I 100% agree with you. And you're right. There are actually many scenes that are throughout the this movie in, way, in the ways Alexa handles her pregnancy or... Yeah addresses her pregnancy that are actually important scenes that speak to a lot of experiences for many other women like when Alexa first discovers that she's pregnant and well not even pregnant like she discovers she's leaking an oil and she's like I don't know what this is you're right you know um yeah. and this, those bodily changes the the skin tightening the stretch marks and this is yeah. a very private experience for women but this also happens to a lot of young teenage girls when they experience pregnancy for the first time and they don't understand what's happening yeah. they try to hide it and they try yeah. to hide it from their family because bodily changes are so private for for women and that it makes it more transgressive for her to come out and say, hey, I had sex not only with a car and it's unprotected sex and now yep. I'm pregnant with this baby, yep. with this this weird yep. baby. It makes it really hard for her to come, come forth. And that's relating to an experience that a lot of women, younger women also too, experience when they come from families of poverty. They don't have the support system. They have to try and hide these pregnancies, these unplanned pregnancies. And like you said sometimes they have they're resorted they have to resort to measures so drastic and so tragic abort a baby that they hadn't planned for because they didn't understand what was happening in their body or the changes or they weren't able to catch it in time right whereas richer families are able to send their children away somewhere have the baby baby gets set off to adoption and then they never speak of it again yeah for sure and we read a really fantastic article from a woman who watched mm-hmm. this movie and has been pregnant, gave birth to children, so she can really speak to a lot of these, the experiences and the abject horror, the objection that's happening in this. You know, we also don't see a lot of positive or at least authentic representations of menstruation mm-hmm. in film, and we see kind of this in the movie where it's like the very beginning stages, there's a shot of Alexia under her blankets and we just see her back end and there's the 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 motor oil leaking through her underwear. Yeah. yeah. 
if you have periods, you can relate to this, folks. And and she's just showing it like it is. You're like, oh, this happens. And she vomits engine fuel, like her skin tears during pregnancy. There's a lot of vaginal fluid that leaks out. And this woman who wrote this article was saying this is actually very representative of what yeah. happens in pregnancy. The way suddenly fluid oozes into your underwear, even after you're trying your best to be super, quote, clean. You're, you're Like you were saying, the stretch marks... They like the numbness, the pain of their overstressed joints. Your body's filling up with fluid and water retention. So water. And this was, I thought, really, really interesting. This woman who was speaking to pregnancy that how Alexia is voraciously scratching this spot on her abdomen uh, yeah. is actually what happens can happen with pregnant women where it stretches to the point of mm-hmm. maddening itchiness. So she's scratching so much, but she also, of course, breaks a hole into her skin and we start to see her metallic womb underneath. But there's a lot of aspects of this that is very authentic. And though it's kind of in a fantastical light, I really respect and appreciate the fact that this show pregnancy like it is it wasn't glamorizing it we're not hiding it it's painful it's uncomfortable it's pregnancy it's pregnancy it is frightening and it's ultimately something that women experience alone like yeah they can speak to other women about that experience because when you know everyone will have like kind of similar symptoms but all of our bodies are different and unique so one person may experience one thing that the other person may not be experienced and all of this is ultimately very frightening and then you have to lead all the way up to one of the most traumatic processes as well which is birthing Mm -hmm. when you have to give birth to that baby and when you do it you're in women are in the most vulnerable position ever because you're having these contradictions, these contractions happening, your water breaks, and now it's time to push this baby out of your body. And you, you're vulnerable. You are literally at the will of whoever is around you to help you <laughs> deliver that baby, as well as your own body and what yeah. happens. Yeah, so this film, like, Dirk Cornell's films are just, like, reclaiming body horror. And, like, I love how that the idea that, you know, Cronenberg has introduced it to us. He dabbled in women's body horror, like, in, but not really fully understanding the true, like, gruesomeness I love that was in this mm-hmm. article when it doesn't come from a non-male uh, gaze like and so yeah. I love how Julia's films are able to like show us that it can be beautiful but it can also be gross and here's how yep. it, and here's how it can be like yep. unapologetically gross like mm-hmm. each month it's gross for me you know and it just is what it is and for us it's a common everyday like this is just our lives but the amount that even general society, especially men, don't even understand what goes on with our bodies. I wonder why they're afraid of us. Like, sometimes we don't really know what's going on, you know? And and you can see that. Alexa is both yeah. afraid of herself yeah. and her body and what's happening. She has no idea. And then she's in this situation where she's trying to hide from being caught for all these murders. Yes. Yes. So now we should discuss the father of this baby. Outside of Right. Yes. Just just said, let's talk about the father of this baby, which is a car. So there's something called mechanophilia or mechophilia, which is a machine fetish, which this girl 
has. She has a car fascination. And I just want to say that because even though I love this scene, I was like, there's always sexy, scantily clad women <laughs> at car shows, sexuality in cars. It's a longstanding mm-hmm. tradition, right? Help sells cars because sex sells. And of course, having gyrating half naked women with cars at this car show is going to help sell these cars. I felt like that was a perfect job for Alexia, actually, because she likes it in a whole different way. <laughs> well, she li- she likes cars from the moment of the beginning of the film where we see yeah. the car accident that causes her to have a metal implant placed into the side of her head. And yeah. when she leaves the hospital, she doesn't kiss her mother and her father. She goes and she like wraps in her arms yeah. around the car. That almost killed her. And you can tell that she's enamored by this metal, this machine. And yeah. it's a really interesting... Um, type of sexuality mechanophilia is not necessarily about like necessarily like actually having sex with a car it's actually just being sexually turned on by a machine and it's sexual paraphernalia right it's just you know some um mechanophiliacs just enjoy like the aspect of the engineering of a vehicle they like the look of it right it turns them on it 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 has these complexities to it that can that gets addressed in the film but the to make it monstrous and, and horrific you know she actually engages in a sexual activity with this vehicle. Yes. Twice. Which ends up impregnating. Twi- yes. Twice? I know she does with a truck. Yeah. She does with a fire truck at the end of the film. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. We really only see her really have sexual experiences or at least satisfying sexual experiences the two times with the one with, with machines with the car and then the fire truck at the end. That's all that we see. We see her kind of like play around we don't really know her sexuality is it just mechanophilia because we see her i feel like there is there's that fan that male fan who runs after her chases her for no fucking apparent reason to her car and they start kissing and i feel like either there's the performance of passion just so she could kill him or there actually is and then she has She makes out with, you know, our Justine, uh, Justine, our new Justine, same actress, character, right? So I don't know. And I'm like, is she queer? Is she pansexual? Does she not know? I feel like she's just generally quite confused about her sexuality because she had sexual experiences with other humans. Is it weird because she also has this fetish and this sexual desire with uh, inanimate objects? Because she also seems to kill who she's actually attracted to as a pattern so I'm confused and she's confused I think I yeah I I couldn't put a, a finger on it as well like I to me I read the scene with her and the the guy in the beginning that she kills as performative that she was just doing it because that was how she yeah, was gonna able fair. to get him in and kill him whereas yeah. I think there was almost a genuine attraction with um Justine especially because I had her like cute little me cute in the shower and her hair yeah. gets ta- caught in her nipple ring yeah. and you know and they're clearly like making eyes for one another but yeah I think because she's confused and scared of what's happening in her in her body, right? You know, to get any closer in that you know queer relationship with Justine would have exposed who she is or what she or what she was what she'd done or how her body is changing. But we're definitely in this film, you know, transgressing, going into areas of you know taboo and deviant sexuality because she, you know, she's she's clearly a queer coded character, but she's also yeah. into she has a kink. 
and she enjoys she enjoys um she's kind of like meco mechanophilia overlaps with technosexuality and robot fetishes and the objectum sexuality so sexual Mm -hmm. and romantic relationships with inanimate objects and i'll throw in their bondage because at least we see in the first Uh, instance where she does get knocked up let's say her arms are wrapped up in those seat belts, so she's kind of having bondage sex with the car. And she, when, when she wakes up the next morning, again, a very relatable experience, she's got bruises all along her inner thigh. She had, so what happened down there? She had a good night of sex. She had a great time, but there is that element of what some people, you know, like you said, don't yuck somebody else's yum, but mm-hmm. that's exactly what's happening. She has a very, quote, different, sexuality and I thought was really interesting on a second time watch today so when she is making out with Justine she does focus a lot on her nipple and I love that she's like oh well you've never been with a woman you can go down further but she focuses on the nipple they're pierced there's metal in between those nipples and I think that's what's extra turning her on she unfortunately is a little too rough and it made me cringe but I think that. Again, the metal, the inanimate objects mixed with the bodily flesh of humans is, I think, her real big turn on. That too. And I also think that there's also an element of exhibitionism because she, yes. this goes hand in hand with the mechanophilia, this element yes. of expeditionism that is being yeah. stimulated by a machine is as well as submission and domination themes. And we see that, like the way yeah. she dances on top of that car that she ends up, you know, fucking later is... Incredible. Yeah, because the car thing is very, like, I guess it could necessarily at some point if you're in a garage be, quote, private. But Mm -hmm. generally speaking, they're in public spaces. You know, other machinery you can use at home. Yeah. In the privacy of your own bedroom. But it is, I agree, because she also, like I said, I think has that perfect job of working at the car show because she is exactly not only dancing around and on the car, she is caressing. She is feeling Mm -hmm. up this flame covered car. So she's she is a I guess, again, we'll say she is our monstrous woman, right? She's she's quite open with that aspect of her sexuality, she's aggressive, she's violent. Now I'm going back to our monstrous woman, unruly woman, right? Yeah. She's violent. She's all of these things. And then it comes down to like, that's a part of her sexuality, which is a lot, right? That is, that's a lot. And it's, it's like, just like one aspect of this movie. And that's where in, we'll see later on too, she does the same thing on top of the fire truck when she is, uh, yeah. disguised as Adrian. She that expo- that natural exhibitionism comes in from her, and she just yeah. you know becomes yeah. very erotic and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah, that is a prominent theme. But then, while her sexuality seems very fluid, we're moving into this area of gender is where this movie starts to take us. Yeah. What I want to say is when looking back at this, like the machines, the technology and stuff. So women are first objects, unfortunately. And then we're people or subjects. We're broken down by our body parts and mechanized for ability to reproduce. If one of our parts breaks down, then the whole body isn't seen as, quote, whole. It doesn't work properly, in quotations. Alexia's womb is even made of metal. It's abnormal. It's not feminine or female. It's titanium. Alexia is inhuman. So yes, moving into maybe some sexual fluidity, gender fluidity, and 
potential issues with this movie, which are quite striking to me. And I think I I realized this on the first watch and then going into more of the research and reading a couple of other people's opinions. It was very interesting, but also very upsetting. So there is a scene where Vincent, our dad figure, shaves Alexia's face to encourage hair growth. He's like, will help it grow and like shaves around the mouth and on the sides because he has noticed that we don't have any facial hair and we're supposed to be a boy, right? Yeah. But it does. And we see later on in the film that she has growth on her upper lip. Oh, I did not catch that. It was very striking to me when I saw that. And that's when I'm like, is this a portrayal of trans pregnancy? And TERFs are going to have a field day with this movie. They mm-hmm. will not like this one. But that's to me where I started that kind of line of thinking. And so I brought up to Jess, I'm like, I feel like, and then did some research. I'm like, there's some trans readings on this, positive and negative. And mm-hmm. we should probably talk about this because definitely on second watch, it is a very striking element of this movie. And I I agree with you. And that's probably why the second time around when I watched this film, it didn't sit well with me Mm because I I started picking up on these elements. And that's where like the second half of the film, I'm not a huge fan of. I think if we took the first half of the film and went a different direction with it, it would would have been really interesting. But then when it gets into the area of her taking upon the opposite gender to avoid capture, could be seen as transphobic because... You know, and learning from these opinion these opinion pieces that both Kelly and I read was interesting because you know this is often uh, accusation that's hurled at trans men and women as a way mm-hmm. of avoiding you know the law or avoiding societal pressures on them by switching identities by switching a gender. Yeah, there's imagery of trans masculine trans uh, transition in this movie, which was also pretty striking to me because they use the old form of an ace bandage or a tensor bandage yeah. which are binders are now used um to create a flat chest um and last time we saw this as per this article in a controversial film called boys don't cry which i have seen and that's like she's just pulling that tensor bandage around to flatten out roll the entire front half of her body and i'm sure that is deeply uncomfortable and so the, the other aspect of it was we have our vincent character who is a very interesting complex man overall there's a theme of bodies beyond our control yeah he he is an aging gentleman surrounded by young men and here he is i read it at steroids one um piece that thought this movie was a bit more transphobic saw it as testosterone shots it's never actually explicitly stated in the movie what those are could be either one it would fit but I, f- I find it more as a steroid injection because he's working out a lot. He wants to be really fit. Again, I see he's also even coded as a gay gentleman. Yeah. Vincent is with his body dysmorphia, his um, the way that he dances and interacts with other men. There's even what I noticed today, one of the young firefighters after, you know, they call him captain, but he's just like, mm. you know, whatever you say, I don't care about your opinions. I'm God. And so he leaves the scene and one of the the young men says to him, he's like, oh, so it turns out Jesus is white and gay. I was like, oh, okay. He's just this hyper masculine figure. 
right? And his body, he's aging, he's out of control. It's hard to keep up with these young men. There's a lot of that that I necessarily saw in this and saw some of that coding. But those injections, again, is kind of a part of a milestone for transition if they were testosterone injections, right? Mm -hmm. So in this one opinion piece was saying that the faux binder, the tensor bandage, the ace bandage, these injections are kind of making a mockery or grotesqueness of these very specific important aspects of transitioning and they're bending it towards body horror, showing it very negatively and disgustingly. And, you know, it's it's up for debate. Absolutely. What what do you think, Jess? Well, I think it's interesting because one of the pieces like they talked about how this film is not actively trying to be a trans narrative, but it in an unintentionally brings in some transphobia, which is, you know, in his ignorance and which is often worse, right? You know, we don't want to be ignorant of these types of things, right? So, yeah. you know, Alexa, she never identifies as a male, but she takes yeah. a male identity to hide. So she's more of a cross-dresser than she is anything, but she's still you, but she, I really, this there's this one point in the film that always bothers me, and then they talked about it in this article, but it's how she uses the male gender as deception, and that's the scene where yeah. she's sitting on the bus, and she's going to leave Vincent like we she's like ultimately her transformation into Adrian was a means of escape escaping the police so she's not caught for the murder of all these people at this house and her parents as well we can't forget that she locks her parents in a burning house and leaves she, she killed them yes she killed them <laughs> um yeah she's using she's technically using Adrian's identity as a means of escape so like she yeah. always had planned to leave Vincent at some point um but it's their relationship together that ends up staying but when she does go to leave she's in this bus these drunk guys walk on the bus and they're clearly harassing the black woman that's sitting across from her and yeah. As a woman, I'm sitting there being like, fucking stand up and say something, like defend your sister or like, or understanding how uncomfortable that would be. And you can see her look on her face like she's clearly uncomfortable, but she's not saying anything. And then she just leaves. And it's like this idea that she's using the male identity as a means of escaping the cruelty that women experience from men. And because she's now invisible. And it's like the sad criticism that is often leveled towards trans men as well, that they're often Mm -hmm. using their transition to escape the cruelty of the patriarchy. Right. I saw that scene very differently. Like, I understand where the the, the author of that article is is coming from. But also, we have to remember that Alexia, a.k.a. Adrian, cannot be caught, right? We are a serial killer. We killed our entire family in a house fire. And with knowing how violent and angry Alexia is on a day-to-day basis, that's like her just base self is angry and violent. She would get up and she would she would kick every one of those guys' asses. And she could. She could hand it to them. But then that would be attention drawn to her. So we have to leave. So I can see where the author is coming from, but I saw that scene as an obvious, like a little bit differently. Like this is deeply uncomfortable. As Alexia, I'm sure she understands what this poor woman is going through, but she also can't be caught. She can't have any attention drawn to her because she is pretending to be somebody else and she's trying to escape the law. Mm-hmm. So I saw it as that. And I can I can see it as both ways. I remember when I first saw it, I saw it this way and then reading this article and we're going back, I was like, okay, yeah. I can see it that way too. So definitely yeah. you can see it in both ways, but I can definitely see where this film is really like straddling a line of being transphobic and showing something that is often very beautiful and liberating for individuals yeah. as 
you know, dirty and gross and uncomfortable yes. and weird. And it, it's, you know, and that's, that's, that's harmful because we want to change that narrative. We want to say, yeah. no, this is a beautiful experience that someone should be, that someone and anyone should be allowed to experience whenever they want to change who they are. And so looking at Titan, it's, How I see this movie, number one, is that I feel like it lacks humanity. There's Mm -hmm. peaks of it, but Alexia is apathetic. She's psychopathic. She's sociopathic. Humans seem as like an inconvenience to her, right? You do see moments of softness. Mainly, I just think she thinks that Vincent is super pathetic, and so she doesn't kill him, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? That's how I see it. When she sees her baby's hand, there is a softness. I feel like up until maybe that point, she did not want to be pregnant and maybe changed her mind. But when you're that far in, sometimes it's hard to to change how things are. But I feel like her inability to perform as a general human being, let alone which gender she wants to be or has to be in quotations for the situation that she's in um, and her creating a new life form that's not entirely human leaves this whole moving feeling to me quite lifeless. Whereas I felt the opposite with Ra. Titan left me cold like a machine, whereas Ra fills me with warmth. That's, and I think with the aspects of this transphobia, or at least treading this really very, very fine line, and that is a portion that stood out to me very much when I first watched it, and definitely during my second watch, that makes me uncomfortable and... Do I think this is transphobic as a non-trans person? I I can't really say, but with the opinions read, I can see where people are coming from because I saw those trans elements immediately. And I don't think this is necessarily Julia Durkinau's intent, but seeing all three of these movies, putting all of these movies together, and we'll talk about Junior in a minute, it seems like it has heavily influenced the characters. It seems like on the surface, she's playing with gender, quote unquote, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I don't really think so. I think there's something else there. I feel like she seems to not fully understand what she wants to try to do, specifically in this movie, or doesn't fully understand gender expression or gender identity and transness. And perhaps some more research and discussion on her part needed to be done before making it. Like you said, there's some very tired tropes in this about transness and making Alexia essentially not human and so grotesque that she can't even survive childbirth to an inhuman baby. It does beg the question, is this movie transphobic? So should we talk about Junior briefly? Yeah, let's talk about the film Junior from 2011. Okay, so Junior, Julia Durkinau's short film, it stars Garance Marillière, who stars in all three films of Ducanars. So she is a young, quote, tomboy named Justine, but goes by Junior, okay, who wears layers and layers of clothes and baggy clothes to hide her female body. Again, this could be read as her being just insecure and uncomfortable with her, you know, adolescent body. Or do we get trans readings out of Junior as well? Because we go Her name is Justine, prefers to go by Junior. And at one point she says to her mom, am I a strange girl? Okay, so (laughs) I don't necessarily read a trans reading from Junior only because I was once a tomboy. So when Mm. I watched this 
this uh, this right. short film by Julia and how it reminds me of that transition from when you're a young girl, you know, you're a tomboy, you wear baggy clothings, you want to look like the guys, you want to have fun with them. You know, the way she sure. Junior acts throughout the entirety of the film is she has poor hygiene, she's baggy clothes. Like, at one point she's wearing, like, the the sweats, like, down off her ass and her mom has to pull it up. I'm like, those yeah. tom guys wore those all the time when I was a young kid, yeah, you know? for sure. She burps, she has coarse language, she's horsing around, she's aggressive. Yeah. The boys treat her like them. They, they treat like her inside the boys. That, yeah, for sure. She's for one sure. of the boys. And when she all of a sudden experiences a change, mm-hmm. you know, menstruation, tummy aches, and she literally, and I love how she, the, earlier in the podcast and in one of our notes, someone talked about, like, you know, the actual shucking of skin. Yes. She actually starts peeling off this yes. old childhood yeah. skin of a tomboy, and she's all of a sudden a young girl. Yeah. And to me, it really spoke really clearly to my experience with puberty mm-hmm. and growing up because I was like, I remember what that was like. I used mm-hmm. to be a skinny little girl who was into rough housing, into sports. Um, I could eat whatever I want and could not eat, like gain a single pound. I, you know, my best friend was my brother. And then all of a sudden I get my period and all of a sudden I get curves and I get boobs and everyone can't play rough with me anymore and everyone treats me like a girl. And I yeah. was like, what is this all about? I mm-hmm. I still want a rough house with the guys, but no, now I need to be careful because... And so I think this is really interesting film that talks about this transition for young girls moving into adolescence mm-hmm. and all of a sudden now she's part of the female womanhood. Yeah. And everyone's yeah. like, oh, this is normal, you know, that and then but once again in that film, no one talks to her about it. No one explains no. to her what's happening to her. They're just like, it just happens. But no, her mom yeah. doesn't sit at the time. Like clearly her mom went through this transformation. Her sister went through this transformation, this monstrous change, but no one wants to speak to her about it. And I really liked watching this film and seeing that, and especially today, yeah. watching this special called uh, Principles of Pleasure, and all they do, it and they talk about this, how often young women are not told anything about their bodies. They have to learn it through other people, and all this weird shit's happening, and all of a sudden now they're a woman, and everyone treats them like a woman. They're a, they're a source, they're, an ob- they're a sexual object, because at yeah. the end of this film, this short film, she gets kissed by her best friend, yeah. and now all of a sudden she's gone from being the boy's best friend to this a new a girlfriend. sexual object. A girlfriend. Or boyfriend girlfriend now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I agree. I think it's uh, might have been reading a bit too much in it. I think it could go in a variety of ways, but I couldn't help but not look at it in a from a, a trans reading. Um, but I, I think it could go either way that yes, because once your body starts developing and then the boys treat you different and now yeah. you're a slut because you have boobs and, you know, and you don't want that kind of attention because it ends up being very much sexual harassment that then we feel for the rest of our natural mortal lives. And mm-hmm. it's very uncomfortable. And she can also, um, Justine or Junior can see how they, how her, she does this too, but her a bunch of her boy friends, male friends treat the other girls that have probably gone through puberty and they're playing with makeup and wearing more revealing clothing. They're called sluts, right? Like that's, oh, that is just like a straight up out of high school element. Like, yeah, junior high to high school kite type uh, mentality. The Her body horror is a transformation. And I mean, she's trying to fit back into her group of friends and because things don't have to change. She doesn't but want does. things to change. Yeah, now she's super pretty. She got no more glasses. Take off the glasses, of course. That's a yeah. common 
cliche, <laughs> take off the glasses. Now we're super hot. I beg to differ. I'm hotter with my glasses. Thank you. You know, but she's almost unrecognizable to her teacher. There's like, who are you? It's like, um, I'm Justine. Thank you. But yeah, she's turning into something reptilian because you see some scales. Yeah. Which I think is is very interesting. You know, I thought it was a very cute short. Um, I would love to see that as a future length film, but I guess we get raw, which, you know, is our like next level with our body horror transformation coming of age horror and I'm okay with that but I liked Junior it was cute it's exactly I think and I think that's like where like that stepping stone for Raw comes yeah. from you know yeah, that for sure that idea you see the gross you see the gross yeah, yeah. And, and that's and that's why I really liked it because I just I related to that so hardcore right. I was just like yeah I used to be a tomboy yeah then puberty hit and that yeah. changed everything yeah <laughs> I was not any of those things I was definitely not a quote tomboy I wasn't really anything <laughs> I wasn't really, didn't really fit into any of those girl. categories I kind of just read books and hung out I don't know <laughs> but yeah definitely puberty and I feel like I hit a second puberty which is even better in my 30s Ooh, thank you very much wow, where I blossomed okay. even more <laughs> <laughs> Physically, <laughs> mentally, emotionally, thank you very much. Even curvier, thank you. Hitting close to menopause, and that's probably what's happening. So, <laughs> great. Transformations. Tran- always constant transformations. You know, constant we're transformations. Re- as, each decade we, has its own yes. journey. As we age, each decade, like, you know, I had to come to a realization today that my body is different from what it used to be five years ago, and I just need to yep. learn to love this body I have now because... Yep. Every, it happens for everyone. It happens for all women. Our bodies co- are constantly changing. They are. And with that, let's move into Spencer's final thoughts. And now we've arrived at Spencer's final thoughts, this time over a nice warm cup of tea provided by our sponsor, Brutalities. Since we're Spencer's, we obviously love tea. One of our favorite things is to curl up with a movie on a cold, rainy day. Or with a good book. Absolutely. With a mug of delicious hot tea. Brutalities is a company that we discovered at a horror convention and fell in love with. They have a variety of tea blends from black, white, and more, but what stood out to us was not just how yummy they were, but their spooky and metal-inspired names. With Screamsicle and Children of the Candy Corn, we thought Brutalities were a perfect match made in... I am obsessed with tiramisu. And I'm currently obsessed with Banana Bell. So go to Brutalities.com to grab some for yourself with listener code SPINSTER15 to get 15% off your purchase. For our Canadian fans, please contact them directly before ordering for shipping quotes. So now that we have our tea, let's put these spirits to rest. Being a female is body horror. So when Kelly first challenged me to watch Raw back in 2019, I was apprehensive remembering all the stories that people talked about leaving the TIFF screening because someone felt sick from a scene that they saw that was really grotesque. And I remember being so nervous watching this film because I was just like, oh, I can't handle cannibalism. I'm not scared. Clearly, I can handle cannibalism, everyone. And it apparently is my favorite topic of conversation. <laughs> But when I watched the film, I loved it. And I have grown to love this film each time I watch it and have a deep appreciation for it and see something new every time I watch it. I get chills when Justine tries flesh for the first time. When I watched Titan for the first time, I felt this impact of body horror being displayed on screen. And it physically made me squirm because it made me really realize this female experience being portrayed to me in the first half of the film. In the second half of the film, it loses me with its ideas of family and comfort but then gender fluidity and then it gets into this you know possibly transphobic narrative and so I, I it feels very messy to me at the end and then when I watched Junior 
I really felt for Junior. As we talked about earlier, a tomboy literally shucking the skin of her childhood and becoming Justine, a preteen girl, I knew what that was like. So I know I have 100% become a fan of Julia Ducournau's work, and I love seeing body horror being done with the female gaze. Because body horror has always been a subgenre that I both adore and abhor. It explores themes that people often don't want to talk about, such as bodily transformations, gender, sexuality, which are all areas that deeply impact the female experience. Some of my favorite Cronenberg films are Shivers, Rabid, Dead Ringers, and they all reveal something about the female experience, but they lack the depth that is fundamentally a part of these films coming from the female gaze. I want to see more women get involved in the genre of body horror. I liked this genre. It challenges me, it challenges my own perceptions of my own body, my own gender, and my sexuality, and explores the monstrous feminine. I love the monstrous feminine, and it forms this hopeful female power that while it's grotesque and a source of horror for someone, it is a power in which women are able to fight against oppression and I'm for that. It's Women in Horror Month. This is, besides Halloween, my favorite time of year because so many films are so excellent and so many have come out in the last 20 years that we can celebrate this evolution of horror. Julia Durkonau is becoming a master of horror, a master of body horror for a new generation. Like another French female filmmaker in Claire Denis, who did In My Skin and Trouble Every Day, they're creating transgressive films about the female body, the female experience, and female sexuality, unlike anything we have seen so far. The future of fear is female. Our monstrous women. I've talked about how much I relate to them. I love the monstrous feminine as well. I champion it. I love watching this. As women, we can often be afraid of being different, and while we are already othered, our monstrousness emerges when we finally embrace who we are as women, as other. We need to accept ourselves for the fabulous monsters we are. Women are sex objects first, people second. We are often, often subjected to a sadistic male gaze, leaving any room for authenticity and exploration. And a quote from our research. Surplus repression transforms us into good, quote, monogamous, heterosexual, bourgeoisie, patriarchal, capitalist subjects. What evades subconscious repression is tamed by cultural oppression. Sexual energy, queerness, female sexuality, and its successful sublimation into creativity, that which threatens patriarchal order. Horror films are a fantastic, fantastical place for women to explore body horror, the monstrous feminine, the feminine, masculine, grotesque. When the female flesh exceeds its bounds, it can become a site of transcendence and even resistance. We can see liberation through monstrosity. And in the immortal words of Duke from my favorite film, Bit, we're made to be monsters, so let's be monsters. Let's be gods. And that ends our episode for Women in Horror Month. We hope you had a fantastic month filled with newly watched movies and revisiting some of your past favorites. We want to thank Dance of the Dead for our intro-outro music, Robeast, and to all of you listeners. We want to remind you to follow us on our website, spinstersofhorror.com, on pretty much all of social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, just search for Spinsters of Horror. And please consider joining our Facebook group where you can come and engage with us, Spinsters of Horror Coven. I'll throw in there that we just joined Clubhouse. So come find us on there as we will be eventually hosting 
some monthly discussions on horror movies. So Clubhouse, search for Spinsters of Horror. You can also find us on Letterboxd under Horror Spinsters, and we also have a YouTube channel, Spinsters of Horror. As well, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on any podcasting app you you listen to us on. We also have merch. Please visit TeePublic to purchase our t-shirts. Next month, we are going deep into the forest of the unknown to discover cryptids. It is also the return of Spinster's Book Club with a discussion on Max Brooks' book, De-Evolution from 2020. So until then, remember, the future of fear is female. <laughs>